They had come to her the previous evening, Amius Paulet, her jailer and Puritan tormentor, and dear, loyal Shrewsbury, who had looked as if it were his own impending death he had come to announce. It was Shrewsbury who had spoken, tears running down his cheeks. Her death warrant, signed by the Queen, had been received. She was to die in the Great Hall at eight o'clock the following morning. Little enough time for her final preparations, the letters to be written, the disposition of her personal possessions, her final confession. But the death warrant had come as no surprise for all the unseemly haste of its execution. And so here she was, at the appointed time, in the Great Hall. It was a bitterly cold morning, still dark outside. Within, sconce candles threw shadows against the walls. Her visitors of the previous evening stood behind the newly erected scaffold at the far end. Other members of the household, together with the sheriff and his men, her ladies, with the exception of the two who attended close behind her on this, her last walk, stood against the walls, some with downcast eyes as she approached the scaffold. Mary became aware of her little sky terrier pressing into the voluminous folds of her black velvet skirts. She paused for an instant, her gaze roaming the hall, lingering on the faces of those who had come to witness her death. Her eyes stopped, rested on the face of a woman, younger than her other ladies. She raised a hand and the young woman stepped forward and came over to her. She curtsied low. Rosamond, will you take my dog? Mary asked softly. I fear he may become distressed if he remains too close to me. Of course, madam. Rosamond bent and picked up the little creature, caressing his rough head. She stepped back into place again, and the Queen of Scots continued to the scaffold. Mary mounted the five steps. A disrobing stool stood beside the block, a kneeling cushion in front of it. She averted her eyes from the blood-stained butcher's axe. Presumably, all they could find at such short notice, she reflected, Royal castles did not, in general, include a headsman's axe among their furnishings. Fleetingly she wondered if they had remembered to sharpen it after its last use on some luckless animal. But there was no time now for further thought. Her ladies and executioners were moving to disrobe her. She removed her cross and the Agnus Dei from around her neck, giving them to her attendants as she blessed them both with a prayer and the sign of the cross. Her executioners knelt for forgiveness, and she smiled, saying clearly, I forgive you, for you are about to end my troubles. Her ladies fastened a Corpus Christi cloth over her face, a veil that she herself had embroidered. Rosamond Walsingham held the little terrier against her breast, turning its eyes away from the scaffold. Her own remained riveted as the executioners and the two women removed Mary Stuart's black gown, two petticoats, her corset, until she stood only in her petticoat and chemise. Both garments were scarlet, the colour of martyrdom.